Hello and welcome to episode 196 of the What is Wave Then podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and as usual, I have my co-host here with me today. Hey, Tony. How are you doing, Weishan? Good, good. I'm really excited because we actually have a guest on today. Mm-hmm. Actually, why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Sure, yeah. I got to uh, chat. Well, not, I was going to say sit down and chat, but... Uh, Gerard Francis, uh, head of uh, Bloomberg's Enterprise Data Business, uh, joined us again. Some of you might, if, if you're a longtime listener, you'll remember, I think it was episode 161, 162, uh, Gerard joined to talk about the alternative data space. Um, this one, we kind of look into just kind of data licensing issues and some, you know, we actually touch on a, a couple of different topics around cloud data licensing. Um, some of the strategy around Bloomberg kind of making data more easily available, I guess, um, and kind of opening up uh, their data services um, to users in different ways, especially during a time of lockdown. And we talk a little bit about that. And uh, yeah, so it was a a really good conversation. Okay, that's good to hear. And um, yeah, actually it was uh, episode 161 that uh, Gerard came on previously, and we will link it here below. Um, My well, memory is amazing. <laughs> oh, yes. let me take a drink of this beer here real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, let me send you this. Let me send you the episode he was on. And then you were like, episode 161, 162, whatever it was. I'm like, I yeah, didn't look at the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we kick over to that, you know, do you want to talk about the story that you actually put up today on trading technologies? Yes, yes. Uh, actually, this is really interesting. Just going to talk quickly about this. Uh, we've actually had Rick Lane, the chairman and CEO of Trading Technologies, on the podcast in the past. Um, they did something really interesting kind of ahead of a, a lot of firms are kind of going down this per, uh, path uh, for various things. Um, but they took their legacy X-Trader trading platform, basically uh, convert it into a software as a service uh, delivered uh, platform. And what they're doing now is we we talk a lot we read we write a lot about the challenges around market data fees in equities right you know max bowie dude's been writing about that for two decades now um futures especially over the last five to ten years is going down the same path same kind of annoyances for trading firms so trading technology is creating this thing called echo chamber and it combines future contracts traded on different exchanges to provide basically a single view of of each no matter where the contract is traded essentially it's just a free market data feed for all the flow going through uh the tt platform and it won't it, this this isn't going to be good enough if this, if for your primary traded asset class product whatever it is you know, you're going to need a direct feed from the exchange. But for your secondary and tertiary markets, tertiary is not easy to say when you've had a couple beers. Um, <laughs> uh, it makes it a little bit, it, it, you, you don't need to have exact data. You can come kind of develop a picture. So you just kind of understand what's happening in the market and you can kind of uh, inform your risk models basically based off of that information. They're going to start out, um, they're going to roll this out initially, just kind of handpicking some select users, um, some select firms, bigger firms um, that have 200, 300, 400 traders and kind of create, you know, this market data book for them using this thing called Echo Chamber. 
the ultimate goal, you know, right now they're hoping by the end of the year, but this this going to take some time, is to have something where um, everybody, all their traders are uh, opting into this service and showing their order flow that they're using on trading on the TT platform. And then they can create this uh, aggregated and anonymized um, order book for clients. And that would allow them, in theory, to cut back on their market data um, costs. It's a, I find it to be, I think that this is a very interesting, it's an innovative approach to reducing data costs. If, if it can get their, their clients, the other firms to opt into this. And I think it's also going to be interesting because whenever a company puts out, you know, kind of a move like this, there, is, there will be a reaction from exchanges and whether that's legal, whether there's, you know, certain other kind of prices or whatever. But right now, you know, it's, they're just trying to get this off the ground. They're going to start with just some select firms and then grow it out slowly over that. Um, so this will be a really interesting space to watch to see how trading technologies does with getting clients to opt into this and see what the responses are of the 55 plus futures exchanges um, that trading technologies deal with. I think um, it'll be an interesting space to watch over the next year, certainly. Okay. Okay, good. That's cool. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> you way Shen being like, uh, I am not Max Bowie, so I am not a market data expert. So I'm just, uh, <laughs> let's just take a hard pass on that one. <laughs> Next time we'll get Max to talk about this. How about that? Mm -hmm. Honestly, I don't even know what the hell I'm saying. You know, I just, I talk to smart people and just write down what they say. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not waste Speaking of time. smart people, <laughs> speaking yes. of smart people. It's a good transition, transition there. <laughs> Speaking of smart people, let's kick it over to Gerard now. So um, we'll see you guys next week. See you next week. All right. And now I'm joined with Gerard Francis, a return guest. So we're uh, so happy to have you back on, Gerard. Thanks again for joining us. It's a pleasure to be on again, Tony. Thank you for having me. So we'll link to our previous episode, which was, I don't know, I think it was like episode 164, something like that. Um, but we, last time we talked, we talked a lot about the alternative data space, right? And we'll certainly hit on that again, but um, you guys have also been doing some interesting things, had some interesting rollouts of late. Uh, before I, we get into that, the elephant in the room is right now, obviously working during a pandemic. You know, for you, for your team, you know, what have been kind of some of the changes that you've had to make? What are kind of some of those kind of lessons that you've had to to learn along the way that everybody's had to kind of struggle through? Yeah, I know it's been an interesting experience. I mean, Bloomberg's been a very much work from the office kind of company for many years. Uh, we have done work from home, but it's been a little more ad hoc. Uh, so going into this, we did test it out a couple of times, but we weren't fully sure about how it's all going to play out. Uh, but I think it was honestly pretty incredible that overnight we had everybody around the world working from home, but our systems held up, the video conferencing was just fine. 
and uh, people just got on with it. So we were a little shocked by the fact that everything could still keep working where overnight everybody's left the office uh, and they are working from home. Uh, obviously, we had to fine-tune things along the way like everybody else. We've got uh, a lot of folk whose kids are at home. They've got to get homeschooled. Uh, husband and wife working, people are juggling things around. Uh, so while the systems and all of that's good, I think people certainly can be more challenged. I think yeah. for some people it's just been better. They've skipped their commutes and they can go right to work. So uh, it's um, it's a mix. Uh, but, but I think overall people have uh, come through really well. I think probably if you asked for the most changes, uh, I think it's almost people are always on right now because just the fact that you have the system all the time, it's so easy to get in, get onto calls, get pulled into things. It's yeah. more of an always on mode. I think that's a change. Uh, I think collaboration certainly in my mind improved because people are working very well with each other now. And I also uh, think that uh, there's a lot more flexibility because to accommodate colleagues and their schedules, there's a lot more flexibility. Uh, but overall, we haven't missed a beat. We had a bunch of products. We wanted to roll out and so far we've been hitting the deadlines engineering's been doing an awesome job uh, so so we've been feeling pretty good about the fact that we just get on and work and at yeah. these times that's the best way to get the mind focused yeah i think that uh you know we, we since uh Weisha and i've been doing these podcasts during the uh during the covid lockdown um that's probably the biggest change for people is the that i hear the most is the homeschooling the kids that they were not uh planning on having to do um, the trying to find a space in, if you're in a cramped New York City apartment, trying to find a room that's going to be semi-quiet, stuff like that. Uh, I think that those are kind of the changes that uh, that people have most struggled with, I guess. You know, for a lot of people, the work has just kind of continued on. Um, and I, you know, I think it's a natural lead into maybe the first topic that we can really kind of hit on here is cloud and the use of cloud tools and how this has helped the process along um, as people have enacted their BCPs. But, you know, Gerard, if I got to be honest with you, when when this first started and, and stories started coming out, everybody was like, oh, well, this is going to make cloud such an important thing. And I'm sitting back now, granted, I write for Waters Technology, a really niche publication in the capital markets. We've been writing about cloud for a long time, you know, and, you know, the use of public cloud, private cloud, just for all different sorts of data. And I, I found it to be, I was just kind of laughing myself. I'm like, I'm not writing a story about how cloud is going to be this new important thing when it's been quite important for the past decade. Um, and it's only going to continue down that path. But for you, how do you view cloud differently? Maybe, you know, what's maybe the right way for, for an audience that is used to working with tools that have been in the cloud for a while now, where do you kind of see cloud usage right now and maybe new use cases that can come out of this experience? Well, I think certainly for a lot of organizations, this has really confirmed some of the decisions they have been making, which is that cloud is important. Cloud is certainly going to be a very large part of our future. Uh, and I think in an environment where uh, you can't get into the office as easily, you can't take care of your data centers as easily, if your stuff goes down, it's harder to get at. Uh, people realize that if they were in the cloud, it would have been great. They'd be able to get a lot more things done. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think for the people who've made those decisions on the cloud, it serves as an affirmation that they are making the right decisions. And for other people who were maybe a little more hesitant in the types of things that can be done, 
they probably will be more open-minded uh, to making that journey. Uh, so I do think this COVID and the situation we're in uh, accelerates the importance of cloud on a go-forward basis. Do you think that, because one of the things that I kind of worry about in some ways is, and you've seen regulators, especially in Europe, to a lesser extent here in the United States, are starting to kind of look at the systemic importance of cloud infrastructure and specifically around the biggest company, the big uh, public cloud providers, AWS, IBM, Google, Microsoft, uh, I guess Oracle. Um, do you see, is it from a, from a strategy perspective and as you guys think about how you're going to use your cloud, um, how you guys are going to be using cloud tools, is that something that comes into play that as cloud becomes more and more important, regulators are going to start to really start to take notice of this Thus, we have to kind of future-proof ourselves on that, or is it still too early of a stage for that? Well, I think uh, regulation can be both a help uh, and it can be a bump that people have to get over, right? I think it can be a help because the more comfortable people are that this in a certain environment is well looked after, the more comfortable they are in doing more things over there. Right, mm -hmm. so there's a there's a flip side, there's a pro and a con to regulation. Now, I think where we're concerned, we had already established that clients, our clients, are moving to the cloud, and we've got to make our data sets and our services uh, available in the cloud. So, as you know, we launched BPipe initially in AWS. We've got a whole bunch of clients using it there. Then we expanded to Ireland and Tokyo. Uh, then we are uh, concurrently working with Azure and GCP uh, to get our B-Pipe up and running there. We're looking at putting data license into the cloud providers now. Uh, so for us, uh, we've been going down that journey. And frankly, every country is going to have its own journey with respect to the cloud. Uh, but I don't think there's any question that that is going to be a, a place where people will be doing a lot of stuff going forward. And everybody needs to look at that in the, through the right lens. Is that, you know, so does that kind of play, because you guys have had some announcement recently to their um, Bloomberg, uh, the beat right, it's an enterprise access point, correct? Um, right. And then uh, Bloomberg Anywhere also kind of maybe fits in this bill, but talk to us a little bit about uh, beep, uh, the enterprise access point. What's kind of the thinking behind that? And obviously this was something that you guys were playing on long before COVID and all that. So how does that kind of play into the strategy of what clients are needing right now? Sure. I, I think for clients, there's no doubt that data is, if it wasn't important before, it's even more important now, right? Um, because I can't do any of the quantitative AI, machine learning, good BI tools, unless I've got great data. And unfortunately, getting great data is really hard because the larger the amounts of data you have, the greater the challenges, the greater the errors, the greater the integration, the greater the number of APIs, the greater the number of people to support it. And so the more data you have, the bigger the problem begin, becomes. So for us, our focus has been relentless in how do we take really complex data and make it super simple. So we mm -hmm. want to focus on the, quantity, on the uh, content and the breadth of the content, the quality, the accessibility, the usability of the data, giving people the right tools, and basically performing all the services so they don't have to do the stuff themselves. So mm -hmm. for us, data, and we're in a fortunate position because we have a lot of great data, uh, is actually that entire spectrum of things that clients need to do with data, but doing them all once and doing it in an integrated fashion. So that's really, we think that if anybody can do those six things really well, 
you kind of take away the data problem from our customers. So what we've really done with Beep 2.0 is take that entire stack to a whole new level. We've just made it so easy for clients now to go off and browse data sets in a meaningful way. They're not looking at a lot of noise. They're looking at meaningful things that are properly categorized. They can immediately uh, get, it, get access to it, go off and sample it and try it out. They can immediately, if they find something they like, they can hit a button if they're authorized to and click to purchase it. And within a few minutes after that, they've got, they're up and running with the data. And that's... Uh, it takes uh, what would have been a very complex process that could last three, four, or six months to complete and really re reduce it to an hour to get done end to end. From the time mm -hmm. a, a trader cares about data to the time they're receiving it in an official way, which is massive efficiency at scale, right? So I think B.0 2.0 just takes it to a whole new level of discoverability, making sure people can purchase it, making sure people can request it. And hopefully with that, uh, it's just going to make data a lot more easily available to people. And hopefully that leads to the next thing, which is innovation, because the more data you have, the more you can innovate, and hopefully the more creative problems people are going to be able to solve with this data. So Beep 2.0 has been a, a large step forward in that direction. We've got a few more things with it, and we can get to that. Yeah. What were the pressure points the, just coming from outside forces that led you down this? Because obviously clients are going to request things and stuff like that, but obviously, you know, the world of technology is constantly changing and the need for data as you talk about is only getting more and more important and you know whenever i talk with uh, a hedge fund an asset manager or even a bank you know they're just talking about they have to come up with new and inventive ways to to get in data structure data get it out to the clients that need it when they need it most importantly rather than kind of this waiting uh on data so what was the pressure being put on you outside of bloomberg that led all right this is something that we really have to start to address because if we don't, we're going to get passed by here. Yeah, so I think a few things, like for instance, a lot of bank front offices and hedge fund managers you meet with, we keep hearing the problem, oh, you guys have it? I wish we knew you had it, right? Oh. Or how, the, how do I even figure out whether Bloomberg's got this data, whether I can use it, right? So those were two repeated questions that came up. I think a third repeated question that came up is if I want to get this data, uh, the opportunity might pass very quickly. How can you turn this around for me really quick? Mm -hmm. How can you cut out the whole data testing process so I can get samples super quickly, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how can I go off uh, and request data on the fly dynamically and get really fast responses without having to wait to go through an entire infrastructure process in order to reach that? So I think what we were hearing were two points is I want to know what you've got I want to know if I've already paid for it. And to the extent I care about it, I want to be satisfied instantaneously wherever I am. And so effectively, Beep 2.0 took all of that and solved for it. It solved mm -hmm. the discovery problem by exposing a really beautiful catalog that people can browse. Uh, it solved the sample problem by just making all our samples up there for somebody to get at. It solved the instant access problem by creating a straight through workflow for either somebody to request access if they're not authorized to buy, or if they're authorized to buy, click and immediately get it and just tie it all together with a super easy to use interface, no training involved, it just works. Yeah. Is it fair for me to say, you know, because uh, for those who don't know, um, obviously we have your title in the thing, but uh, Gerard works on, uh, he's the head of enterprise data uh, for Bloomberg. Um, and so not as much necessarily so he's not as directly connected to some of the uh, terminal products that are put out. 
But one of the things I've seen just over the last five years is, you know, as this idea around desktop app interoperability comes out and stuff like that, the, 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 the thinking underneath that movement there is we want more flexibility because we want to be able to bring in unique um, analytics tools, bring in unique data sources and having and and the previous feeling maybe was a little bit uh, a system perhaps like Bloomberg could be a little bit too contained and that, that we didn't have the flexibility one. But it would seem some of the moves recently with, you know, with whether it's Beep, Bloomberg Anywhere, things like that is, I don't know if it's opening up the, you know, kind of this, this idea of the Bloomberg terminal, but is it certainly would seem to me that there's more emphasis on the strategy end of allowing customers to have more freedom to do what they want with data. Is that a fair way for me to characterize it? Am I on the right track there? Yes, I, I think the way I would characterize it is the terminal has a very unique place in the entire financial market ecosystem because of the phenomenal capabilities it brings that it does that so successfully because these things are so tightly coupled together. So it just works and it works all the time. And that's mm -hmm. really been the power of the terminal. But having said that, you're always going to have clients who want to do something different people who want to explore the data that Bloomberg's got, people who want to create their own tools, who want to create their own analytics. So we've always been uh, a great supporter of that and have become even more of a supporter of that in recent years. So data license is an example where clients could take our data and use it anywhere. Began what way back in 97, right? So we've been on that journey. And I think some of the things we've done is just open it all up and make sure that almost any data that's there on the terminal, we also provide it to a client for enterprise use. So for some clients, the terminal could be a fantastic solution. For other clients, they might be more data science focused in which they want the data residing in their own platforms, in which case we make all that data available for them to go off and use. So mm -hmm. for instance, people could only get holdings data on the terminal. Now we also have holdings data available for enterprise use. So we're just making sure that as our clients take their own journeys, we support them in what those journeys are. We have auto management systems, execution management systems, transaction cost analysis systems, data management systems. So Bloomberg, even though it's widely perceived as being that terminal, actually a large part of Bloomberg's business comes from all of these other things that we do and supports our clients in all of the ways, because ultimately the clients are going to determine their path forward and we are just an aid in their journey. You, you mentioned data license. Uh, we recently wrote an article, uh, you guys have put out data license plus uh, maybe talk a little bit about that, what some of the thinking was there. Sure. So Data License Plus is actually very cool. It gets into one of the disks I talked about earlier, one of the components, which is the services area. Now, when clients typically get data from any vendor, or say let's take Bloomberg as an example in this case, they probably get that data in multiple files at multiple times during the day. So maybe in the morning, they grab a slice of equity reference data. Midday, maybe they're looking at equity pricing data. End of day, they may be looking at equity reference and pricing data. At various times during the day, they're grabbing some fixed income data. Sometimes they're grabbing that data in duplicate a few different times. And so ultimately for the client, there's a challenge because I've got all of these files at different times during the day, but if I want to look at a single version of it all integrated together, how do I do that? And typically what they've done is build big in-house data management systems, data warehouses, various ways in which they connect up all the data in order to get that view. And that's expensive. Mm. It's time, money, it's hardware, it's software, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so what we've really done is try to pre-do that for the client. We look at all the data the client subscribes to, pre-integrate that together into a single workflow 
and a single visual tool uh, that people can explore. So they can say at 4 p.m. every day, they know exactly for every bond, there's a unique description, there's a unique price, there's a unique uh, coupon maturity. It connects directly with the equity. We know what the listing is and it's all visible to the client as one clean model that they can access to either via web interface or through a feed. And I think that takes away a lot of the data management needs for clients because for most clients, they just want this data consistency. And now we're providing that right out of the box at a really low cost for our clients. Why Why did it take, because I would, the things that you talk about are things that clients have struggled, uh, that uh, tr um, trading firms have struggled with uh, for, for years, certainly. What were kind of some of the barriers to creating that in the past that you are now able to do that, whether that's a technology, a technological component to it, or whether it's just advancements in what you guys are doing around uh, the infrastructure building, the, the, the analytics piece of it, the AI piece of it. How is it that this now you're able to kind of come out with it when this was obviously something that people were asking for for a while, I would imagine? Yeah, that, that's a good point. See, historically, all these data management systems were run as deployed architectures and they were on client sites. And that's not really where the place Bloomberg adds value because we add value in the cloud. We've always been a cloud company. We've never been an on-site provider of these things. So it's only the last two or three years where clients A, have gotten comfortable about these being things being performed as a service. And that's also the time period in which we've been building this out. So this kind of stack to run it up in the cloud in a managed service expensive build. So we've been at it for the two or three years as part of the data journey. And now we felt it's the time to really release it to clients, uh, to put it out there. It's also been aided by one of the acquisitions we made five or six years ago. As uh, you may know, we bought a company in Dublin called Polar Lake. They had a software stack. We re rebuilt that stack, uh, renormalized it, and uh, that has really aided us in being able to release this. Interesting, yeah. Because I, mean, I got I remember writing about Polar Lake way back in the day, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the name doesn't exist anymore. We call it Bloomberg Data Management Services, but okay. uh, yeah, so, so that's what it is. Yeah. Why do you think it is, uh, what, what's your impression around, because you're absolutely right, people are more comfortable with the idea of the cloud. And, you know, there's something we've seen over the last couple of years. Mentally for firms, what was it, what were the barriers? Is it just now that there is some sort of a security end of it that they, that they now see that them spending all this money on security themselves is just, it's wasted capital when these, you know, cloud firms, you know, like yours are spending an exceptional amount of money on security purposes. Is that it? Is it because, you know, we were in kind of a boom market, you know, 2008, you know, technology teams got pretty much decimated, back office operations teams got pretty hit hard. Um, but then I think everybody's seeing now they're so important to keeping a business running now. So many of these back office, middle office uh, ops and tech people. And I think that they're seeing, okay, the, the, this cloud architecture is such an efficient way to deliver information, but that mindset was happening before the, the pandemic. So that will continue, I would imagine. But what do you think kind of started to change in people's minds? Well, I, I think ultimately it's a risk assessment. I think people always knew the technology had a lot of potential and depending on where a cloud provider was in that maturity cycle, that technology was advanced. But ultimately, people are also assessing risk, certainly financial firms, because they have uh, a lot of liability issues they've got to deal with. They've got their regulators to deal with. They've got their fiduciary responsibilities with respect to their customers. And I think what's really been the process for uh, 
for the for our clients has been that journey is how do they assess the risk how do they get comfortable around it how do they get the regulators blessing for what they're doing and that encourages them to move forward and i think in the last few years we've seen the regulators open up and become more comfortable with it in certain use cases and yeah. i think that's helped our the clients themselves uh, to say yes this is a journey that we can go down and let's go further and further. Some have a higher risk appetite, they go faster. Some have a lower risk appetite, they go a little slower. But I think it's really, uh, it's the various things coming together that have enabled them to, to progress on that journey. Okay, and maybe related to DL uh, Plus, um, for you guys during this process, for you and your team, have you had to work with firms contractually, kind of having to work with where people can uh, get their data, how they're consuming the data, because I know that there's always kind of tight boundaries around something like that, you know, just from a contractual level with a client. What kind of adjustments have you had to make so that firms could still work remotely, people could still work remotely and get the data when they needed it, where they needed it, without a monumental uh, hassle? Yeah, I think in the case of Bloomberg, we really have two uh, broad licensing model. One is the terminal. Right, and as long as the person is in the terminal, they can't take, take the data off the terminal, but they can use it on the terminal. And the terminal has for a very long time been available both uh, within the client's offices or at home, because many of our clients work at home and we roll out Bloomberg anywhere to support them, whether they're at home or in their holiday home, it didn't matter, they could get it. So I think the terminals worked uh, particularly well during this uh, environment. Um, I think with respect to data license, our licensing has always been licensing the buy side or licensing the sell side or licensing the security services. And as long as they take responsibility for keeping the data within their control and take ownership for it, then we allow them to access it. And again, similarly, uh, they can get it, clients can get it two ways, either remotely they're accessing their own internal environment, and that's fine because the data sits in the entire internal environment, they're allowed to use it. Um, or in some cases, they're accessing it via the web, but in that case, the firm is permissioning them to go off and use it on the web. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think as long as people are accessing their, whole, their office work environments and it's within the control of their, uh, their own company, then we've been very comfortable in them using the data in that regard. Okay. And, you know, during this process, you know, we've been writing a lot about it is the need for new sources of data and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we wrote an article about uh, you guys with your um, uh, COVID-19 mapping tool, which I don't know if you saw, uh, Mike Bloomberg actually uh, put up on his LinkedIn page. So that was a feather in the cap for us. <laughs> um, but, you know, how have you seen the 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 use of alternative data so to go back to our conversation we had last year how has it kind of changed now during this environment what sources of information are people most concerned with right now as it relates to trading well okay so i'll, I'll come to alternative data but i think the types of data that people we've seen particular interest in is for instance dividend forecasting because people want to know are the companies going to pay dividends or not pay dividends. So they care about people who provide dividend forecasting. Uh, we've got a lot more interest in credit risk types of products is can you assess the risk of the company that I own? Are they going to pay their bills on time? Are they going to pay their coupon payments on time? So that type of data is quite valuable right now. I think as the markets stay bumpy, people care a lot about volatility data. They want to examine uh, if the market volatility is jumping up and down, which instruments is it going up in, things like that that affect their valuations. They care about supply chain data. 
people want to understand the patterns of supply chain not only in terms of who the supplier is or who your vendor or client is but where are they located and then to basically compare it back with a lot of the covid types of data sets to see what is the impact in that particular region, country, zone, et cetera, so they can tie out the entire supply chain uh, to understand what's going on. There's obviously been a lot of interest. We supply less of it, but a lot of interest in uh, all the reporting that's going on around COVID because people are trying to make matches between that data versus the companies and how it gets impacted. Uh, people still care a lot about um, things like uh, Aptopia, which effectively gives you app usage so how many people are downloading Netflix apps versus the uh, the Roomba, right? So mm -hmm. I think uh, that gives them good information. Uh, so I think there's been a whole mix of data sets that people care about. And I think our clients are very innovative. They're always looking for new ways in which they can get value. If you look at the uh, alternative data market as a whole, it's an interesting time because one, it's a really good time to prove that this product offering that so looking at kind of the, the, the suppliers of this data it's a really good time to kind of show this product really works it can help you through tumultuous through a volatile market a tumultuous time um but obviously we see millions and millions of americans here all over the world being laid off you know you're already starting to see some drawback on on money and stuff like that um as people try and cut costs so in many ways, bringing in an alternative data source, it's a little bit of a risk because there's, you know, it, many times it's not going to be the appropriate data for you, yada, yada, yada. Do you see there being consolidation in the market as a result of this going forward? Like if you're kind of looking six months to a year out in the alternative data space, um, do you see there being much more consolidation um, or do you kind of see it being... I don't know, maybe that just new ways of kind of delivering this information will become necessary. Well, I, I think that uh, I don't know if it's for COVID or for other reasons, but inevitably when you have a lot of providers over time, you always end up with some form of consolidation or the other, right? So sure. that's in inevitable through time and inevitable as commoditization creeps up. If you talk about the commercials of it, it's hard to perceive that a lot of people make a ton of money off alternative data, right? I think mm -hmm. if somebody has a particularly valuable set, they can charge a lot of money for it's probably does well. But overall, the economics of it are tough because you have to have enough people buy the data in order to make it worth your while to provide it. So I, I do think for the folk where it's very expensive to generate alternative data, it gets a little harder. For those where the all data is just exhaust to their normal business process, they can keep at it longer and make sure that uh, ultimately you build a good client base. Uh, but I think the uh, the inevitability of consolidation of actually finding out what is really valuable uh, will continue. And I think there'll be winners and losers in that journey. Do you see the way that you guys conduct due diligence on data providers that you're bringing into the terminal? Do you see or bringing into, um, oh, sorry, to, um, uh, to the Bloomberg uh, Enterprise Data uh, Package? Do you see that changing as a result of this or is there nothing, you know, basically it's just kind of the, the same thing that you've been doing that'll work or do you kind of see that there are kind of lessons learned that maybe as far as looking at these kind of companies and deciding on which kind of companies we're going to bring into our ecosystems and which ones we're going to kind of take a pass on? Yeah, I think we've always been a little cautious. We haven't been anybody can walk in the door and get on. So we've always been a little cautious in that regard. Uh, I think what this changes is it probably changes the appet relative appetite of certain products. I mm -hmm. think we're going to get client feedback that always guides us in terms of what we bring on. 
and I think the relative importance of different uh, vendors will change through this process. But I think we will always try and uh, we're not going to be the first mover and the most aggressive in bringing on new all data providers. Uh, yeah. we, we bring them on with the right level of diligence. Okay. And then I think the most important question is during this lockdown, Gerard, how have you, what have you learned about yourself? Have you been made any, taking this time to make any improvements, any changes in your life uh, now that you had to work from home all the time? Well, I, I think the part that I don't miss uh, or the part that I do appreciate is the gain in commuting time. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's certainly every minute we can find in the day is a good thing. And I, I think that's been a, a gain. I think the loss has really been de- talking to people. So I think it's great that we're having this conversation virtually, uh, but I do miss the the human interaction about people. Um, I think the, when this all began, I think initially uh, it, you had to change the style a little bit to figure out how to work in this environment. So it probably sure. took me about four or five weeks to adjust to it. But I think right now me and our team have kind of got a cadence going and it feels like our clients also in the same spot and people are beginning uh, to work well together. Uh, I think what I've learned is that uh, you can't take things for granted and you've really got to build a schedule. You've got to be very disciplined about your schedule and stick to it uh, because that's the only way to, in a world that's not changing, you've got to make the changes happen. Uh, Otherwise, one, it's very easy to just fall into a little bit of a rut. But I think what's been good for us is just this whole DL plus, Beep 2.0, getting it out there, hitting the deadlines, making sure it works well, getting on client calls, talking to somebody like you. I think that's what makes it all fun uh, and make sure that we're really solving client challenges, which is what I think we, we, we gets ex- us excited. Naturally, talking to me is obviously the best piece of that, all of that. Of but, uh, no, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Like that idea of, you know, you have to really kind of stick because your day can turn into such a long day because everything's right when your office is right there. It can, you got to really be disciplined about using that kind of nine to five, 10 to six, whatever it is, window efficiently. Otherwise, your day can get so out of whack. And about the communications platform, the thing I was laughing about um, before is it's wonderful uh, because, you know, I'm getting to connect with people and stuff like that, get to connect with you, get to see a face to face here, even though we're remote. Uh, my girlfriend, she's in Manila right now. So, you know, we get to have FaceTime even while she's over there. But the one thing I notice is now my parents have caught on to this. And so they live down in Carolina and I always had that nice little 10 hour buffer zone there. Now they're like, oh, well, let's have a call on Saturday. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's so these are the changes you have to make in life, I guess. <laughs> I know. And, and it's fun. Like today, middle of my work day, I get interrupted because my nine year old is out there and a snake is swallowing a big frog. <laughs> so, so that's the highlight of the day. And he's trying to interrupt my calls to get me to come and watch it. Right. So, so every day brings a nice surprise, but it's fun. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, thanks so much, Adrian, uh, for being on. I look forward to having you on again in the future. Thank you, Anthony. Tony. Good to see you again. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you.